Yes, everyone who's listening, stop thinking that multitasking is a real thing. It's not a real thing. Yeah, it, it is totally, totally anti-productive. It's not just unproductive, it's anti-productive. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. And then the last part of the external brain is a virtual assistant in my mind. Like, I'm very anti-to-do list. I don't think, I think to-do lists are very bad for productivity. And I could go into all the reasons why if you'd like. James Schramko here from superfastbusiness.com. And you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on productiveinsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Now, today's guest has overcome some pretty incredible odds to establish a very successful business and a very successful life. Now, he has a very engaging story and is a very productive person. If you haven't guessed already, this episode is about productivity and optimizing your life. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, you definitely want to check out the following other episodes, which would give you a lot of similar content and great value. Episode 18 with Buck Rizvi on how he built an eight-figure business using valuable systems and processes. Episode 25, which is a tutorial on the Pomodoro technique and helps you to become a laser-focused productivity ninja. Episode number 27 on overcoming procrastination. Episode 37 on how to overcome information overload. Episodes 33 and 34 with an Olympian, John Edwards, on the three secrets to high performance. Episode 35 on how to use high leverage activities to prioritize your to-do list. And episode 69 with Peter Moriarty, where we talked quite a bit about cloud computing, but we also talked about productivity and his 2080 rule, as opposed to the 8020 rule. Now, I'll include the links to all these episodes in the show notes. So if you want to check out the show notes, head over to this episode on my website, which is ProductiveInsights.com forward slash Ari hyphen Meisel. And that name is spelled A-R-I hyphen M-E-I-S-E-L. Now, this episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high-value long-term customers. Book a call with me on ProductiveInsights.com forward slash podcast hyphen setup to discuss how we can get started. I will include that URL in the show notes as well. Today's guest was diagnosed with Crohn's disease back in 2006. Now, Crohn's is an incurable inflammatory disease of the digestive tract, and his case was severe. He required over a dozen daily medications and several hospital visits. After reaching a personal low point in hospital, he decided to do everything in his power to strengthen his body. Through a combination of yoga, nutrition, natural supplements, and rigorous exercise, we're talking Ironman and CrossFit, he was able to fight back the symptoms of Crohn's until he was finally able to suspend his medication. Eventually, he was declared free of all traces of this incurable disease and completed the Ironman in France in June 2011. He's since spoken at seminars and at regional TED Talks. He automated and outsources a lot of his tasks and his business. And now he focuses on achievement, architecture, helping individuals to be more effective and advising several companies. So I'm delighted to welcome the founder of LessDoing.com. Welcome, Ari Meisel. Thank you so much, Ash. Thanks for having me. Great to have you, man. Your story is absolutely awesome. So let's start with that. 
Could you give us a little bit of an insight into your journey and how it led you to lessdoing.com? And if you could just talk about things that are relevant to our listeners who are largely professionals and business owners who are looking to just find their way in this information overloaded environment, what insights can you give us? Yeah, so absolutely. So I... I had two extremes sort of in my life. I, w- I went from working and I was actually working in construction when I was diagnosed and I was doing this big development in upstate New York. And I was working like 18, 20 hour days sometimes, physical, like actually physically working and also running this project. And it was just enormously stressful. And I wasn't taking particularly good care of my body. And so I broke my body essentially with diagnosed with the Crohn's. And very, very quickly, I got much, much sicker. The medicines, while in the end helped me in a lot of ways, were the side effects were pretty horrendous. And it was just, it was a very low point in my life. But I went from this place where I was working 18, 20 hours a day. And it was hard, but I was loving it, to basically being so sick and weak that I could barely do an hour of work a day. And also recognizing very quickly early on that stress was a large component of my illness. And stress is a well-documented inflammatory component. So those two factors sort of came together to force me to create this brand new system of productivity called less doing. So basically, it's like that idea of trying to avoid stress and also compress the amount of work that I I could do, or rather, not even not compress it, rather, but getting as much as I possibly could get done in a much more compressed window. So that basically sort of pressured cook together to make this diamond that is now less doing. So essentially what I do is as a large methodology for the overall framework is that I basically teach people how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives and their businesses in order to be more effective. I've been talking about this forever and a day, you know, the 80-20 rule, the the idea of focusing on the things that move the needle the most. And I also talk about the four quadrants that Eisenhower talked about, which was then made popular by Stephen Covey, the four quadrants, which is, you know, the urgent and important and the not urgent and not important and so on and move through those four quadrants. And a lot of us spend most of our time in the not important and urgent quadrant and deal with, you know, the little fires instead of focusing on the things that are important, but not necessarily urgent. So it sounds very much like that's kind of what you've learned from your experience as well. How did you survive on 20-hour workdays? Like you were sleeping, what, four hours a day? Sometimes. I I mean, look, I was 20 years old when I started that project. I was like, I was full of energy and drive and, you know, whatnot. And I, I don't know, I, I, it was just, I, I was sick all the time, you know, and, but I was like running on, I was basically like running on fumes, essentially. It was an incredible project for me. I mean, I was, I mean, it was incredible. I learned so much about how to manage a team and how to, and about construction and everything. And it was just, I don't know, it was, it was like a, an adrenaline rush for three years. Now you've recently, I noticed you've spoken to the Genius Network, which was, which must have been a pretty awesome experience. Yeah, yeah. So that it's it was an incredible experience. It actually two times now. It's basically catapulted my career in some way or another. It's really an, it was been incredible. The first time was huge for the book, and then the second time was really the launch of my latest venture, which is our virtual assistant company. Okay, so. Tell us a little bit more about that. So you're more into the outsourcing side of things now. You have a virtual assistant company, and what do these people focus on? Okay, well, so it's important for you to give a little bit of background on this. So the, the, the whole methodology of optimized automated outsource is very important. And, and as much as I, I do, I, I own an outsourcing company, I'm constantly doing everything I can to avoid outsourcing. Um, so basically, when you, when you go through my methodology, we look at a problem and we try to optimize. What optimize really means is essentially tracking. Like you're looking at what is actually going going on in the process, what are you doing, how are you spending your time, like what are the steps. And we try to make the process itself as efficient as possible. The next part is to automate. We really want to be able to automate whatever we can because when you automate, you usually can do things for free. It's scalable, infinitely scalable. You're avoiding errors. Like we really want to avoid the human element as much as possible, not only for those reasons I just mentioned, 
But when you have humans doing work that they don't need to be doing, there's, there's eventually they're going to be unhappy. And it's just a, mis- it's a misallocated resource if you want to look at it that way. So after we've done that, after we've optimized and automated, then if anything is left over, that is when we actually look at having an outsourced provider do it, whether it's a specialist or a generalist of some sort. So the less doing virtual assistants are, in my opinion, the world's best virtual project managers, really. They're all trained in my methods and constantly constantly guided in them. So it's a relatively small team, but we can do anything. We have not had to say no to any request yet. Everything from the basics of, you know, buying gifts and dinner reservations to creating an entire sales funnel, helping to operate a real estate business, you know, completely remotely. Like we, we create processes that make everybody's businesses and lives run more efficiently. And it's parlayed into another part of the business, which is the less doing BPO or less doing business process optimization, where we're doing what I've been doing for individuals for last six years now we're doing it for companies and we're going into some very large organizations where we're completely changing the way they communicate project manage automate and outsource in order to basically shorten the gap between idea and execution cool now there's something that you mentioned that is really important and that is optimizing before automating because you know what if you automate stuff that is not optimized you're just going to be automating rubbish so it's a really important point that i just want the listeners to get that you know you want to optimize first and my idea of optimization in addition to picking the right things is also focusing on eliminating the wrong things and almost actively actively culling the stuff that is not essential to the business or to your to the outcomes that you're working towards. Right. And, and the other thing actually more deleterious is when people tend to outsource first too. You know, you get somebody who's just like they come across a problem that they don't like, they don't want to deal with like, oh, hey, you do this. Let me hire someone to do this. But the problem is that that doesn't make the process more efficient and it doesn't make the process more efficient and it, it really distances you from the ability to actually identify the processes itself or the the parts of the processes that could be made more efficient. Yeah, I think you need to understand what you're outsourcing, at least to some degree. And the more you understand what you're outsourcing, the better you're going to be able to manage it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about a different aspect of doing now. And that is in today's information overload environment, we are not so much just doing things physically, but we are doing a lot with our minds. We are taking a lot of mental actions, whether we want to or not. We're being bombarded with information. So could you talk a little bit about how your approach or your methodology helps individuals to focus on less and do less with their minds, but do the things that really matter? Yeah. So as you mentioned, the eighty twenty rule before, for me, eighty twenty really is just a, a, a reminder to be self-tracking. So I, I, I kind of use it in a different way. The, the, the biggest component of less doing, and there's nine fundamentals, but the biggest one is called creating an external brain. And that's, it's a really big one because there's several parts of it. And one of them is that we, I, I really push people to have sort of a brain dump habit where I recommend, personally, I recommend Evernote because, are, do you use Evernote? Yes, I do. Yep. Okay. So for people who don't, it's a free resource that allows you to capture information pretty much in any way possible, writing, pictures, websites, YouTube videos, whatever you want. And the beauty of it is that it organizes information sort of for you. It's basically their algorithm has been shown to be very similar to the way that our brains sort of organize information neurologically. So what's awesome about it is that you just you don't have to think about it. I don't want people to hesitate. Don't pause. Don't judge your ideas because our brains have a real big tendency to start to stop us from putting ideas out there. Just get it out of your head. Free up your brain space. So two things happen. One is that you free up your mind to focus on things, whatever you want, just using your mind. We have a very limited working memory, relatively speaking. And right now in society, the average human attention span is about eight seconds, which is one second second short of a goldfish. So you really shouldn't try to hold on to these ideas. You need to get them out of your head. 
And not only does that free you up to, you, you don't even know what you're going to be using your mind for at that point. But what happens with Evernote that's so cool is that that information will come back to you in sort of magical ways. So whether you capture a new piece of information, it will pop up and show you, hey, here's three or four notes that are relevant to this from your Evernote. And it may be a blog post that you found three years ago and a podcast you listened to 10 days ago and a YouTube video you found six months ago. And all of a sudden, all that information is being pulled together and it's incredible. The same thing happens with Google search results. So if you're using the, the plugins for Chrome or Firefox or Safari or whatever, if you search in Google, it will also pop up and say, hey, that thing you just searched for, there's four things in your Evernote that are relevant to that. So that's, that's one, which, I, yeah, which is hugely helpful. The other one then is automation, sort of a base level of automation. So websites like IFTTT, which is if this, then that, which allows you to automate very, very simple actions like if I update my profile picture on Twitter, then also update my profile picture on Facebook. Seems menial and stupid, but it would have taken you 30 seconds and you're doing that kind of thing hundreds of times a day and there's just huge switching cost. That's another one, external brain, because it's sort of a set it and forget it mentality. You know, you create the trigger and the action then you don't have to think about it ever again. I have a hundred... And it saves you time in context switching as well, which is a massive suck on productivity. Yes, everyone who's listening, stop thinking that multitasking is a real thing. It's not a real thing. Yeah, it, it is totally, totally anti-productive. It's not just unproductive, it's anti-productive. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. And then the last part of the external brain is a virtual assistant in my mind because there's no like I'm very anti to do list. I don't think I think to do lists are very bad for productivity and I could go into all the reasons why if you'd like. But there's no point in having a to-do list when you can just have a done list. You know, So you give it to somebody and they start working on it. I have a lot of clients with the VA service who tell me that the, the one of the nice things about the virtual assistants is that it helps them get over procrastination because they can, they don't have, there's no excuse not to start something. Even if the VA doesn't know the answer, they can move it forward a few steps. No, that's a great point. That's sort of like the quick and dirty version of the external brain. I'm glad you mentioned the to-do list thing because the next thing I was going to ask you is if you use things and OmniFocus, which I did use for a period of time, and I fell in love with them, but I did start to get quite overwhelmed. What I'm using at the moment, which I'm enjoying, is mind maps. A little bit less overwhelming because they're not as linear, and it allows me to sort of play with ideas and I can hide things and stuff like that. Generally speaking, I think that Evernote is a great idea capture mechanism. I wasn't aware of this ability that it has to go and gather relevant information. So I'm going to go back and have a look because I just save a whole lot of stuff into Evernote, but I don't go back and check what I've saved. So I need to go back and start looking at what information I've been curating. In fact, I recently, speaking of curation, I recently spoke to Rohit Bhargava, the author of Lycanomics, and he talked a lot about content curation and saving ideas and looking at the intersection of ideas. And I thought Evernote would really lend itself to that. Another app that I use that I really like is Pocket, mm -hmm. which allows you to save relevant bits of information and tag them. Well, and you can use IFTTT that anytime you save something in the Pocket, it can go into Evernote. Nice. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. By the way, have you used apps like Text Expander and Keyboard Maestro and stuff? Um, I have. I certainly have. But uh, And those are great. And I think they're really good for a lot of people. They don't, for some reason, work for my mind because I tend to like forget what the, what the, uh, you know, the codes are that I come up with. But it's also, for some reason, it just hasn't really come up as something that I've needed very often. Okay. Well, I, I find it incredibly useful because it allows you to create forms and you know create templates, yeah, emails yeah. and stuff, which are great. Yeah, the other thing is that I'm rarely on a computer. I'm almost, I run my business almost completely from my iPhone, which makes me very, very mobile. It means that I can get work done if I have two minutes walking between yeah. you know, three blocks. And I'm pretty much like, I've touched my computer like twice a week. <laughs> Wow. So what apps are you using on your iPhone to run your business? <laughs> well, I have very few apps on the phone, too. It's one of my limits that I put on myself. 
So essentially, my business runs on Slack for the most part yeah. and Trello. Yeah. So Slack, Trello, like actually, I've done this as an experiment. I did this as an experiment. I have a couple of iPod touches, the ones that basically look like a really thin iPhone. Yeah. And all I have on them essentially is Slack and Trello. Like, I don't have my email set up on there. I don't have the texting. I just have Slack and Trello. And I've tried to see if I could go like a day and just use that, and, and it works. Okay. But what's so good about Slack? A lot of people are talking about Slack, and I've used it, but I don't know enough about it, and I don't get the real attraction for Slack. It's great in that, yes, you know, it's a quick minimalist chat service, but why is Slack better than, say, Google Hangouts or Skype or any of the other chat facilities? So we, it's funny because we actually, this is what we do with a lot of companies. We've converted several companies over to Slack. And one of the biggest benefits that they get is that you see companies go to email zero within the company. So not inbox zero, but they literally do not send any more emails within the company. And internal emails usually depends on the company, but internal emails tend to account for almost 70% of the emails that you deal with on a regular basis. So it's funny because there's nothing innovative about it really in a lot of ways. It's a chat platform. Like you can chat, like a chat room that's been around since AOL has been around. But what it does that's nice is first of all things are organized into channels so you have channels that are either topic based or department based or project based so you know what you're talking about uh, it's all searchable you can share any kind of information in line voice recordings video pdfs images whatever you want but the real beauty with Slack is all of the integrations. So there's bots that'll do all sorts of things for you automatically. And then there's all sorts of automated integrations like IFTTT and Zapier. Simple things like, you know, if you're having a conversation with somebody in Slack and they say, okay, we should do this, you could star it. And then that automatically can create a task in Trello for you to actually work on it. Anytime we have a, a new customer sign up with Stripe, it pops up in the channel, lets us know on Slack. So essentially, you don't have to leave Slack ever, which is one of the really nice things about it. And it's and it's really seamless between desktop and mobile, and it, it just works really well. The thing is, is that like with any tool, it has to be set up properly, and you have to be taught how to use it properly, which most people were not given that opportunity with email. Right. Okay, next question. One of the things I like about email is retrievability, right? If I want to search for a conversation I had like five years ago, I can just go back and find it in my email. Does Slack offer that same facility? Yeah, you can search any messages, any files, and you get very specific with the searching too. You know, someone, I was talking to this person or it was this kind of a file or it was between these dates, anything like that. The email feels, it sits on my computer essentially, right? Does Slack sit on my computer or does that sit on Slack servers? It's on Slack servers. That's what I meant to say. So my email, of course, is on the email servers as well, but I use an, an email application which copies email onto my piece, onto my computer. So I potentially can access them forever in a day. Do I have that option? With well, what happens if you lose your computer or it breaks? Look, that's another thing. Like, So I'm on my laptop right now, obviously, because I'm Skyping with you and doing the, the recording. But I only have Chrome, Dropbox, and Skype on this computer. That's it. And I have no files on my computer at all. Everything is in Dropbox, or and there's backups of that in the cloud as well. But what that means is that if somebody walked in here right now and smashed my computer with a hammer, I could walk over to somebody else's computer, open up Chrome, and open up Dropbox.com even, and be ready to go. All right. Let's talk about the biggest challenges you've noticed when people try to implement the less doing but achieving more approach in their lives and what's worked best in overcoming them. The biggest, I mean, the biggest challenge for me was, was the Crohn's, of course. That and also, I mean, I have four very small children. Yes. Congratulations. You recently had one. Yes. Yes. I have a four-year-old. I have twin, almost three-year-olds. And then we have a seven-week-old daughter. The other three are boys. So it's been wonderful. But it also created some very unique challenges for me in terms of how to get work done, how to be able to focus on work and also do what's very important to me, which is to be there for my family. I don't know. If, yeah, I mean, it is a challenge. It's always been a challenge. Every day is a challenge for that, but it, it seems to be working. 
Because the biggest thing with less doing is that things can stay in motion without me pushing them. And it's really the difference, you know, for people listening to this, it's really the difference between a freelancer and an entrepreneur. A freelancer gets paid when they work and an entrepreneur gets paid when they're sleeping. So not everybody is cut out for one or the other. Some very, very, very successful people are better at being freelancers than they are at being entrepreneurs, which is totally fine. But it is something to be aware of that are you an entrepreneur or do you simply own your own job? Yes. Like Seth Godin says he's a freelancer. Exactly. I actually just interviewed Seth like two weeks ago and he said that. It's fine either way. You just have to be aware of that and, and yeah, I know that. Fair enough. So in terms of the challenges that you've seen with your clients and people that you help, what are the biggest challenges they've seen in terms of adopting your approach? A lot of the people that I deal with are, are control freaks of some sort or another. It's not all like type A personality necessarily at all, but there is, there is a control aspect. It's funny to me because the more, the more that I do the work that I do, which is now I've been doing this almost six years, there's so much psychology involved in what I do and what makes people productive and unproductive and motivated and unmotivated, distracted, uh, that has nothing to do with apps or tools or anything. So I'm very, very hesitant always to tell somebody, hey, just you know, install this and you'll be good or you know, use this app. Like That's not how it works. I really need to get to the root of for a lot of people. Like They're approaching their work in the wrong way in many cases. They think about these things the wrong way. And they insert themselves in situations where they really shouldn't. Uh, there's some really great research that shows that we need to be offloading about 70% of the things that we do every year in order to grow. If you think about like a, like yeah. a snake molting its skin or you know, a snail getting rid of a shell, like you need to do that in order to be able to grow. Otherwise, you just right. stay where you are for the rest of your life. And, and then that tends to make people pretty unhappy. So big thing is letting go of that control. And it's funny because I, I find I, I work with people all over the world and I find different cultural uh, inflections to this. So in America, at least in other places, too, but definitely in America, you see this definite need for people to feel like everything that they do, yeah. only they can do. Yes. Because it's like you want to feel irreplaceable. And again, it, it seems to me to be like a very American thing in some ways. And it's like, well, I couldn't possibly explain to somebody how to do this. It's like, well, you really could. And even very, very high-level things, like somebody's like, oh, no, so nobody mm. could ever write in my voice. And the person who's saying that is not a writer. Right. You know, it's like they just happen to write. Yeah. So it's like, well, yes, yeah, somebody else who's skilled, if you tell them the right way, they can actually do that for you. And then you can go back to doing what you really should be doing. So that tends to be the biggest challenge is getting people to let go of control. So usually we just start with something small. And email is not it uh, because some people have just ridiculous <laughs> control issues with their email and you have the person who has 20,000 emails in their <laughs> inbox but they got it you know they're covered <laughs> there's another way so usually it, sometimes it'll start with a virtual assistant with something very minor like yeah. buying something for them or researching something for them and then the ball starts to unwind a little bit okay and that segues quite nicely into the action section which is my favorite part one of the key actions that I, that I would take from this is if you want to let go of stuff, I find one of the best ways to do it is documentation. Just put it down in steps on a piece of paper, uh, get it out of your head and onto a document. And if it has to be done more than once, you probably want to create a system or a process around it and then give it to somebody else and say, have a go at doing this. If you have any questions, come back to me and let go. Absolutely. <laughs> any, any other action steps you would like to recommend? Any other things you'd like to say? So I really would tell people, like, try to have an external brain of some sort, whether that's a physical notebook, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend, or Evernote. Um, I think that everybody should work with a virtual assistant at some point because I think it's a learning experience for you in terms of how to effectively communicate yep. your needs. Absolutely, I agree. The process of communicating with a virtual assistant helps you often to even clarify exactly what you're trying to achieve, and it gets it out of your head, which comes back to the external brain thing that you're talking about. 
Best books that you've read and why they've had such a big impact on you? Well, my favorite book is called Emergency, written by Neil Strauss. Yes. And he had a huge just transformation of his life, basically. In, after 9-11, he basically wanted to learn all these like life skills in case the, the world sort of ended. And I just found it really inspiring. And there's so much of what I do that trying to get people to sort of improve themselves in some way to their own benefit. And I really think that work, when done efficiently can really fuel your life, but you need to be spending time on rest, recuperation, and learning. So that was a big one. I really, I recommend that to people all the time. I'll stick it in the show notes. How do listeners find out more about you? And is there anything else you want to add? So the, the best place to go is lessdoing.com. Yep. And they can find the blog, the book, the podcast, the virtual assistant service, the coaching programs, everything is there. Okay. Well, thanks very much for being on the show, Ari. It was great to have you on. Okay, I really hope you enjoyed that interview. I got a lot out of it. I thought it was really short, to the point, and there were some excellent takeaways, including creating an external brain and hiring a virtual assistant and letting go of tasks, even though you initially might think they are absolutely essential for you to do. That way you'd be working less in your business and more on your business. Don't forget to check out the show notes where I've got links to the related podcast episodes. And this episode was brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high value customers. Book a call with me on ProductiveInsights.com forward slash podcast hyphen setup to discuss how we can get started. I will include that link in the show notes below. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?